Hi, and welcome to Impactful Teaching at the College of Charleston, a teaching and learning podcast where we discover innovative strategies and practices to engage learners, celebrate the successes of others, making an impact on today's students' academic achievements, and inspire each other to learn and grow in our own teaching practices. Hello, and welcome to Episode 5, Part 2. I'm your host, Mindy Benini, an instructional technologist at the College of Charleston, and we're going to continue our talk with Drs. Kate Owens from the Math Department, Ashley Pagnotta from Physics, and Dr. Jen Wilhelm from Psychology. And in this part, we're going to hear from Dr. Wilhelm about how she has implemented ungrading as her primary grading method in some of her classes. Jen, would you mind introducing yourself again? Hi, I'm Jen Wilhelm. I am an associate professor and director of experiential learning for the Department of Psychology. I also have faculty affiliations with the programs in neuroscience, women and gender studies, and medical humanities. And I um, came in 2012 to the College of Charleston. So Jen, can you tell us a little bit about ungrading? Like, What does ungrading mean in general? And in specific, what does it mean to you? Yeah, so the first time I heard ungrading, honestly, I kind of bristled at it because I didn't understand that it's not as simple as just removing grades. It is not not grading. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of people think of here ungrading and like, what? I have to file grades. How do I give students, you know, um, assessments if I don't give them grades? And upon deeper reflection, um, ungrading is really just an umbrella term for any assessment that is um, trying to decenter the action of instructor for assigning a grade to a student on their work and trying to really flip that narrative to getting students to own their education, to own the process of learning and to take responsibility so that it's not an instructor creating a situation where here's an assessment, um, you know, we'll see how you do, I will give you this grade and tell you how you did, but really to, um, to get students to be more participatory in their learning process. And, there are lots of different ways to doing ungrading. Um, generally, uh, instructors are going to do some type of assessment in their classes that are going to be based on providing students with formative rather than summative feedback. So um, you're going to have, like in my classes, I give assignments where uh, I ask students to to read something, to write something, to do an experiment even. And then um, the assessment is them reflecting on their experience, not just nasal gazing, but for them to truly think about what did they do? What was the process they went through? What is the scientific method that they engaged in? Um, what is the outcome? Was this something that they expected, didn't expect? And really, this is what we do as practicing academics. We read something, we think about it, we reflect upon it, we think about our ideas on it, and then we might talk to other people about it. So I get my students to talk to their peers, they get peer evaluation, and then they come and we have, and they have some type of product they put out that we are able to have a conversation about, and it's a dialogue. And it really takes that emphasis off the external motivator of working for a grade versus that um, tries to really move that to an intrinsic motivation of wanting to learn and really focusing on feedback and reflection. I tend to have students kind of spending more time on the process of learning um, versus the completion of tasks, maybe. And what what sort of triggered you to say, I need to make a change here. This, this giving my A's, B's, and C's isn't really working out the way I wanted. 
So very similarly to what I think um, Kate and Ashley were talking about earlier is that I felt that there were times in which students grade in my class didn't re reflect what I thought that they truly knew. Um, so that my grades, I didn't feel like really were sorting students or giving them information about how they actually understood the material. I also had situations in which a student would come in um, would not know a concept or be able to perform at a certain time based on my schedule that I created, you know, on my syllabus, but maybe would pick it up a week, two weeks, five weeks later. And at that point, based on their traditional grading structure that I've been using, it was almost too late for that to be really assessed. So their grade on that assignment had failed them or, um, you know, they had not earned the, those points at that time, but really, realistically, they understood the material. And um, if we're in, a, in the business of educating, you know, education and academics is a process of thinking of something, trying it, failing and starting again. And that's the process of learning is trying something out until we get to a point where we think we're getting close to the truth, whatever truth is. And then still finding out that we're wrong um, and keeping on trying. So if we want to really have a process of learning, we need to honor that process and not just look at the assessment of some um, random time point on some, you know, uh, some assessment that we came up with. So I started moving into using more authentic assignments, um, having a lot more feedback thinking about ways to focus on that, um, the process. And I tried different techniques, including standards and specification-based baiting, which I still use in some methods. So for example, I provide specifications for assignments. Um, so a student might come in and they have a paper to write and I will give them specifications for that paper. So they have something that they are targeting. We have learning goals, we have um, outcomes, but then the assessment of their work on that is gonna be met with, um, with their reflections on it, their, their evaluations, conversations with me, um, as well as iterative um, drafts that they might do to be able to go back and correct the work. And what I've found as I've moved into this is actually a model that um, for at least some of my classes, especially my upper level neuroscience classes, really models better the academic life. So especially in my upper level neuroscience lab class, we want to have these students come in. They want to, I want them to model what it's like to be a neuroscientist and, you know, still in their student capacity. And if I'm just assigning the papers and giving, giving them a grade, that's not really realistic for our professional life or it's not a good model. In fact, you know, most scientists, we do an experiment. We find out we're wrong. We try it again. We make mistakes. We go through these processes until we come out with something that we're like, hey, this is a cool, interesting finding. And then we don't turn it in for a grade. We go and we talk to our colleagues. We get peer feedback. We go and we okay. um, talk about it at the conferences. We submit it to a journal, but they don't give us a grade either. Instead, they give us peer feedback and ask us to revise and resubmit. And then eventually it gets published. But at no point in my professional career does everyone say, nope, that's a C paper. So <laughs> it's allowed me to, to really kind of move our students into a more professional work, real work related um, model. And even if they're not going into neuroscience, they can appreciate that this is, you know, an iterative effect that they're going to have in whatever profession they go into. That's awesome because, I mean, that really, it is really any profession they go into. I mean, even in my job, which has zero to do with neuroscience, I might write something up and run it by my colleagues before it gets sent out, or I'll 
think that this is going to be the best way to do something, I'll run it by them. So I really like what you're saying there about how you're how you're using that. Can you give an example of maybe an assignment or something that you do specifically in your class that illustrates this process? Sure. So um, my neuroscience lab class, I think, is probably the best example, the easiest to kind of follow. So for this class, um, we are doing two big projects. Um, it is kind of a group independent study. So they um, work together in small groups to design an experiment. Um, and then the ultimate products that they're going to be producing is going to be some type of paper. Um, it's a traditional APA formatted research paper. Um and what we'll do along the way is instead of saying, okay, here, you know, you need to come up with your drafts and I'll give you a sign, I'll give you feedback on this, or I'll give you grades on those drafts. We're doing a little bit more um, in-depth feedback kind of. So the students will do very um, small steps along the way. So they might come up with their hypotheses. They have a conversation. We might um, have a group discussion in class about, you know, is this a good hypothesis? Is it a good experimental model? They'll write their reflections, so that's going to go into a portfolio that they're going to turn in. So it's kind of a um, documents of great of work that can be used um, to show what they have done. We can um, go through if something that they're doing isn't working. We just go back to it, and they can then revise it. Um, they don't get grades along the way. Um, so none of this work is graded until um, the very end of the semester. And not that it's not... They're not, they're given plenty of feedback along the way, but there is not a traditional A, B, C, D assigned to that work. So it's all about the process of them going through, writing the paper, getting feedback. Um, sometimes the feedback is from me, sometimes it's from a peer, sometimes it's them self-recessing, sometimes it's done in class. So we'll have a class conversation. So it's not that I'm reading 55 drafts of the same paper from the same student and all of a sudden increasing my workload, but it's being very intentional about providing um, formative feedback along the way so that students can figure out how they're meeting the specifications that we, we put together for this paper. And then, um, of course, the institution does require that I post grades. So what we do is we look at the very final product um, and then the students assess the process that they have gone through. They talk about the process of them learning, making mistakes. Some of them didn't. Some of them are really good. <laughs> They'll get it kind of the first draft. Because So students come in at different points, and we can honor those students who come in very well prepared and come out with the outcome you know, X, and the students who came in less prepared but still made it to outcome X. Um, they can end up with the same grade even if they have taken longer to get to that outcome. So at the end of the semester, we use a rubric that we've designed as a course or as a class um, to try to align the performance on that um, on that paper. Basically, how well did they meet the specifications for the paper? Um, how well did the end product kind of fit what we were supposed to be doing? Um, and we turned that into um, their course grade, which really probably aligns with professional standards better because, you know, whenever I submit a paper for publication, I get peer review. And eventually at some point, the editor has to make a decision. Yes, it's going to go in or no, it's not. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of how I how I do it through uh, maybe a paper writing process. And as a class, do you guys create one rubric? overall or do they create the rubric for each or the the contract whatever it is whatever you'd like to call it for each assignment how is that handled 
So I'm still in the process of, of tinkering with this class. Um, I think that originally I had them only make the um, the end of the semester rubric. And I think it's a great idea to have them make some of the smaller ones along the way. Um, having them come up with the specifications for what a paper might need to be could be a really interesting project. So maybe I write the specifications for the first paper. And then for the second paper, they come together and write the specifications of what they think it should be. So a learning um, process in and of itself, right? Yeah. So I think that that's the kind of the wonderful um, process that Ashley and Kate and I've been talking about is that this assessment doesn't have to be, okay, I have now implemented this one design. Here's how it's done. And it's only done this way. You can add your own flavor to it. You can find what fits right for you, for your students, for the course level that you're working at, um, you know, and your own personality. You're listening to Impactful Teaching. We'll be back in just a few minutes to bring you the rest of today's episode. If you miss any of today's episode, you can hear it again on our website at tlt.cofc.edu. That's tlt.cofc.edu. Attention faculty. Are you looking for a free, online conference with dozens of live sessions dedicated to best practices in teaching and learning? Do you want to discuss new pedagogical ideas and concerns with faculty from universities around the world? If so, then you'll want to attend the 7th Annual Teaching, Learning, and Technology Conference, or TLTCon, May 16th and 17th, 2023. Hosted by the College of Charleston's Teaching and Learning Team, TLTCon 2023 will feature special keynote, Jay McTie best known for co-authoring the Backward Design Framework in the award-winning and best-selling Understanding by Design series. McTie is a veteran educator, speaker, and accomplished author. Add TLTCon 2023, May 16th and 17th to your calendar today. You won't want to miss it. Once again, here's Impactful Teaching. So how are your students taking to this? What are they thinking about this? So I've been through this in several different iterations, um, and it kind of depends, honestly, on their background. So um, my classes tend to bring in students from both the humanities and social sciences, as well as school of science and math, and sometimes from another school on campus um, outside of one of those two. And it kind of depends on which, um, what experiences they've had in previous courses with grading. So mm -hmm. students that have come in and they have um, very well aligned themselves with performing in a traditional grading background, mm -hmm. come into my class and have a little bit of stress. Um, sometimes they'll say, oh, this sounds good, but you can see that anxiety and they'll have lots of conversations with me about what is this really going to be? What do you mean I'm not getting grades along the way? You know, how do I'm I know an a how student. I'm doing? How do I know I'm still an A student? Is this going to impact my ability to go to medical school? <laughs> I've had that conversation, um, but really trying to take time. So I take time at the very beginning of class and then multiple times throughout the class, we have conversations about how, um, how they're being assessed and how they're they're getting this feedback. So it's not a one-time conversation of here's the syllabus, here's how you're being graded, done. Um, it's a kind of constant communication with students about here's how you're doing in the class. Here's what I think your strengths are. Here's what I think you can work on more. Um, and then really, as we go through that process, I think we start to get a lot more buy-in, especially when I talk to them about those soft skills that are really building that will be applicable to a real work situation and to their future um, 
relationships that I think once they understand that that's, you know, really something that they can see being fulfilled um, in their future, they really start to get a little bit more excited about it. And um, letting them have some um, authority in creating the rubrics also gives them power. So they, they realize that they're not just at the whim of a crazy professor who's trying something, you know, they've never seen before, but they really seem to, um, to feel like they've been empowered to really kind of take control of, of the class and their performance in the class and end up coming out feeling um, in general, they seem to feel really excited about this opportunity. I think it's really important for us to think critically and, re- you know, reflect on why we do the practices we have, you know, why are we using a traditional grading style? So I actually use traditional grading in one of my classes because it fits that class a right. little bit more appropriately than um, ungrading. And maybe I will change it up in the future, but it doesn't have to be an all or nothing, um, you know, experience. And, and we do need to reflect on what makes our students, um, you know, best prepared and what we can do as instructors to really provide them with the resources to, to be able to learn to meet their own goals. Are you happy you've changed? I'm thrilled I've changed. Good. Um, I think like Kate and Ashley said, I don't have to make those fine distinctions of, you know, how much credit is this worth? You know, is this paper a B paper or is it a C paper or is it an A paper? And oh, I really know the students tried, but they're really not up to the standard, but they really tried. So, you know, what can I, do I need to, you know, to change my grading? Um, I don't have those conversations with myself anymore. I'm able to actually very quickly go through, um, provide what I feel like is is helpful feedback, have conversations with the students that are more about learning and more about the stuff that I care about instead of, hey, I got a 50 on this paper, what do I do? Um, so it's made my time with the students a lot more enjoyable, my relationships with them a lot stronger. Um, and that increases my attitude and my happiness by a lot. Yeah, Ashley, I see you nodding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I, I agree that it um, definitely increases the relationships with the students. And it is, I, I'm sure you run into this as well. It's confusing in the beginning. They are kind of like Kate mentioned, they are happy when they hear that they can sort of retest as much as they need to for my class. And I'm sure they're happy. Like they like the idea of being able to, you know, have the sort of control, like a lot more control over their grades um, in the ungrading system. When it comes down to the actual, like, wait, how do I actually do this? And how do I actually figure out what my grade is? Um, It is a little confusing at first, but once they get that, especially sort of once they do their first reassessment or once they come to office hours and are like, I'm sorry, I did not understand this in class. And we go through it and they're like, oh, cool. Okay, now I get it. They'll come to office hours to make sure they understand the concept and then do a reassessment. Um, I don't know. I feel like I know my students, especially because I have fairly big classes. I usually have about 48 students. And so it's nice to kind of have a, a bit more of a connection with most of them. Actually, you hit on something that I get asked a lot is, oh, you know, what you're talking about is great, but, you know, this isn't scalable. You know, I have 100, 150 students in my class. I could never do this. And I, I think that, you know, as we're talking, I think that it's something that is really scalable. You know, either of these designs is something that can be done in any size class, um, especially, if, you know, with ungrading where I'm relying a lot more on student self-reflections and peer evaluations and 
while the students are doing multiple drafts, there are techniques and, and methods you can use to reduce your overall grading burden and make this something that you can really use with a lot of different students um, or classes of different sizes. And um, I think that the, the consequence I have seen is that my office hours are busy, um, but I'm having good conversations during my office hours. Students are coming to see me and they see me as a human. Um, you know, they don't see me as just somebody who's doling out a grade, but we have a conversation about real stuff. And I really enjoyed that consequence. Yeah, there definitely are ways to scale these methods. I like to do reassessments where they come to my office hours or come to like, you know, extra ones they can sign up for if the timing doesn't work. But I know that um, some other folks at the college, even at least one other person at the college um, who's using this grading system and definitely folks at other institutions are doing kind of like what Mindy mentioned way back in the beginning about having reassessments through our LMS where there's sort of a question pool. And in that case, you know, you don't have to have an actual meeting with the student. It's not what I prefer because I do like to actually talk to them and, you know, have them be able to ask questions and all that kind of stuff. But it can absolutely be done automated if you had a much larger class you can absolutely take advantage of the technology to to do that kind of thing. I also really like the use of technology um, for making this scalable. So that was something that I had not really thought a ton about. But in terms of um, making this a doable way of, of grading um, and giving all of this feedback, technology has really helped. So instead of using a pink or a red pen or a purple pen, like you said, Ashley, I don't use a pen at all. So I do most of my feedback orally and I can um, sit yeah. and read a paper and have Zoom on or one of the other video capturing systems where a paper can be up and I read and I comment as I'm reading on a student's work and I'm able to give that oral feedback. And students have commented that they really appreciate that because they don't misunderstand my tone. They don't think I'm mad at them for making a mistake. Right. Oh, you seem like you're totally cool that that happened. And, you know, not that I'm okay with mistakes, but it's, it's easier for them to hear the tone of voice in which it was said. Um, It also keeps them from having to like read my handwriting, which is, you know, it can get really bad after a while. Um, I also will post common comments. So I'll post a Google sheet that has some of the common comments that I make. Um, so students can read through those. So here's some things I noticed that y'all all have struggled with. And um, I can also, sometimes I'll highlight those in my videos. And sometimes I'll, I'll just kind of hit the things that I know the students that students struggling with and say, hey, go read these comments over here as well. You know, that um, right. people have been, have been struggling with. And then students can leave feedback using the same um, video feed software too. So they can use something like Flip or whatever and, mm-hmm. um, it allows them to do this asynchronous so we're not taking up class time to always do these feedback. And, you know, it can make it where you can, you can give somebody pretty good feedback in three or four minutes of just speaking instead of having to take hours of handwriting. And right. Although there's utility in that too. That's awesome. So as we close out here, Jen, um, what advice would you give to someone who might want to try this method in their courses, ungrading in their courses? Yeah, so don't be scared. Um, we have all been institutionalized, um, you know, as academics, we have made it through the traditional grading system and probably found some um, 
you know, some worth in that. Um, and so don't be scared to, to try to, to shed some of that. Um, you don't have to just go and turn your whole class into an ungrading experience. You probably already ungrade already. So you're probably already giving students feedback. Um, it's pretty easy to, you know, to adopt that into a class, even at a large scale of having an assignment or two where you're able just to, you know, to provide a formative feedback instead of having everything be summative. And those little steps can end up um, leading to large transformations in your class if that's what you choose. Or it can just be little bits and pieces that you add. That you add. So don't be scared. You can try it. And if it doesn't go well, you can always keep trying it. Um, and that's, you know, showing modeling failure and resiliency is a really incredible gift we can give to our students um, that, you know, showing them it's okay to make mistakes and here's how you pick yourself back up. So don't be scared to do it. How about you, Kate? You just have to make small changes, right? How could I incorporate one or two of these ideas in my class next semester and then just try it out? And it's okay if it doesn't work, right? It's okay. We've got to kind of like iterate here to find a system that will work for you. For me, I've been doing this for seven years. It took me many semesters to figure out what works well for me and my students in my classroom. So you just need to have some grace about it. It doesn't have to be the perfect system the first time you try it. You just want it to be slightly better than what you're doing now. And Ashley, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it is, that's exactly it. It's not going to be perfect the first time. So there is a sort of growing community of people who are doing competency-based grading. If you can connect with them and get input on, yeah, a syllabus to start with, a set of standards for your class that somebody else has developed that you can start with and refine, and then just give it a try. You will continue to make it better as you keep doing it. And that's kind of that kind of is why I started with standards-based testing, where only part of their grade, it is the vast majority of their grade, 70% at this point, um, comes from their performance on the standards. Maybe someday I'll switch over to 100% standards-based. But for me, this was definitely the way that I could start with it. It was what I could handle at the time. And turns out I, I, I actually really like it. Thank you. So it seems like um, from all three of you, our takeaways are uh, start small, just add little pieces. And this is not an all or nothing. These can, you can ungrade in class A, you can competency grade in class B, and you can traditionally grade in class C. So it's whatever is going to work best for the class and the subject matter. I really want to thank you guys so, so much for taking the time today. I really, really appreciate you guys and the things that you're doing on campus. So um, thank you guys and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Impactful Teaching, brought to you by the Teaching and Learning Team at the College of Charleston. Until next time.